I didn't have a job or anything, but I had a friend, that, the lady that drove the bookmobile. When Marianne Thompson graduated high school, she landed her first job as an assistant on the bookmobile. And it went to all all the little towns, right. and, and she asked me if uh, I would want to help her out. She said the money was pretty good at that time, because I had nothing. I, d- I took the job. Oh, I was tickled to death to get a job. <laughs> the bookmobile traveled to the remotest parts of the county, and it was here that Miss Thompson encountered her first Cherokee Indian school. They had a school there, the Cherokees. They didn't come to Robbinsville, because they at that time, there was no Cherokees they would let come, you know because they wasn't white people. (laughs) When the Cherokee Indian children came running out of the schoolhouse to jump onto the bookmobile, even though Miss Thompson couldn't understand a word they were saying, nor could they understand her, she fell in love. When we went out to the Cherokees, the little kids came out, and they just, sweetest thing, and just a gibbering and a beautiful sound, but I had no idea. I just smiled and pat them on the back, and I just fell in love with them. Welcome to Front Porch Productions, a podcast brought to you by the Cherokee Scout. I'm your host, Abigail Hickman. In this episode, we're going to meet our neighbor, Mary Ann Thompson, and she is something. So go grab your lemonade, get your cup of hot tea and a snack, and let's settle in on the porch and get to know our neighbor. My name is Mary Ann Thompson. Before we really get into it, there's two things you need to know. One, Marianne Thompson is energetic. She frequently jumps up to grab this document or that artifact, and you'll hear that movement in the background of the recording. Secondly, she has suffered three falls recently that have impaired her memory and sometimes her speech. So I may repeat some of what she's saying just for clarity. I wanted so much to talk to the kids and everything, and, and they couldn't understand me either. So from there... I thought, shoot, here I can't see a thing. I'm <laughs> just like a dumb thumb. Uh, so from there, I started reading more about the Cherokee. I was always interested that, you know, we'd go, mother'd take us over to Cherokee, and I'd stay in the places until she'd wear down, and she'd get out and find me and say, come on, we're going home. <laughs> and I, I knew a few Cherokees, too, that I just I just fell in love with the with all that had, I started reading the books and there's history on them. The thing that in our state, to take them out and do what they had to do, all these Cherokees, and nothing to help them, the government meant to take them out. What Miss Thompson is talking about here refers to the Indian Removal Act of 1838. It was signed into law under President Andrew Jackson. The act was written as sort of a gracious offering of large tracts of land west of the Mississippi for the Native Americans, but essentially it was a forced relocation of 46,000 Native Americans from their ancestral land in the Appalachians to less desirable, more desert terrain out in the undeveloped West. Miss Thompson first became interested in the Indian Removal Act back when she got that first job fresh out of high school with a bookmobile that traveled to the Cherokee schools out near Robbinsville. This is where she said she fell in love with the Cherokee Indians. The story of the Cherokees, it was just, it's bad. 
The story Miss Thompson refers to, of course, is the Trail of Tears, which is about a 2,200 mile long trek through nine different states that the Native Americans were forced to walk along under brutal conditions. 4,000 of them didn't even make it, died on the trail. And by bad, Miss Thompson is referring to the cruelty at which the federal government treated the Native Americans. I'll offer you a famous quote by a volunteer soldier from Georgia, quote, I fought through the entire Civil War and have seen men shot to pieces and slaughtered by thousands, but the Cherokee removal was the cruelest work I ever knew. So in the late 1970s and early 1980s, there was a movement to set apart federal land and memorialize the Trail of Tears. And there was a huge amount of national energy around this movement, which is how it caught the attention of Miss Thompson. The problem for her was the Trail of Tears was marked to begin in Tennessee. And she became a pretty fierce advocate to get the location of origin changed from Tennessee to where it belonged, which was North Carolina. I know I read a piece in the actual citizen when uh, the government had to go ahead and get the Cherokees that area as their starting point. And nobody had ever come into our state or even our county where they were. Thousands of dollars went into their building in Tennessee. And when I read this piece in the paper, he didn't say that they had put in anybody's name that was in this area. It was always for Tennessee. Yeah. And uh, and after I read that, I called, he said, Marianne, he said, I didn't understand that we we're not going to be on the Trail of Tears. From there, I, d I just started calling senators, and I called all the people that would listen to me. They were putting it in the wrong place, and they was already spent thousands of dollars over it. The problem for Miss Thompson, after she discovered that the Trail of Tears was not going to include North Carolina, which she considered an outrage, is that this was a national effort and it required multiple state cooperation and all of it had to go back through the subcommittees in Washington. So the fact that it was all said and done, the ink was dry on the document and everybody was agreed that, yes, this is the Trail of Tears, we're done and dusted, suddenly enter Miss Marianne Thompson saying, hold on, you've got it wrong. We got to back up and start this thing over. So you can imagine the tenacity required to stop almost a literal act of Congress to renegotiate the origin of the Trail of Tears to North Carolina instead of Tennessee. And that's exactly what Miss Thompson did. And it had already gone. Everything was ready and everything was going in, in Washington. And then here, this this crazy woman, everybody's wanting to know why in the world did you let them do what they've done. I said, that's the biggest thing that's been happening, you know, in the United States. So uh, from there, I did have our senators and that I talked to, and they were excited. They wanted, no, this is not right. If we, if we can get this proven, well, it's not going to be in Tennessee. But in Tennessee, was their people, they were starting already doing the things that they needed to do there. I got an archaeologist that I'd worked with for a long time, Brett Riggs. Now, Brett Riggs is kind of a big deal. At the time Miss Thompson met him, he was researching and writing his dissertation called The Cherokee Trail of Tears in North Carolina. So he's what most would consider an expert. Now, Miss Thompson had gotten to know Brett Riggs because, of course, she had this fascination with the Cherokee ever since she was a high school graduate working on the bookmobile. So fast forward, she's now teaching art at the community college, and she has a schedule that allows her this big 
spans of time in the middle of the day. She teaches morning classes, has a big break in the middle of the day, then goes back to teach night classes. She takes this middle of the day opportunity to indulge in her hobby, compulsion, obsession of seeking Cherokee artifacts from the earth. She just would walk around areas that the Cherokee had lived or been through and collected artifacts. And then she'd call Brett Riggs from the college to come and look at the artifacts to date and name and categorize them for her. That's how I got started with hunting artifacts. He would come over and I'd have him all day long, as long as we could both stand up going from the fields that had been played. He was so smart with everything, and he, he loves it just like I did, the Cherokees. He he worked hard for it. Brett could get over here after a class if I knew of a place that I might be able to find. People mows their grasses. Right, and, so it's and easier their, to be able to find the stuff. Yeah. So when you guys would go out into the fields, you would make it like a treasure hunt to see who could find the most? Or what was it like out there? I might find the most, but see, uh, he wouldn't let, he'd let you pick it up, but you can't take them home with you. And I said, oh, my God, I don't know if I want to do this now, because I wanted to take them home. <laughs> he said, no, don't, I can't let you let do them when I'm with you. He didn't have a whole lot of money, because he didn't just sit in school. And, uh, but he was married, and he, his, his wife was so sweet, and they had, had a little boy. So I, <laughs> I'd give him $20 every time to get by a gas switch. You know, I thought it's big money. As highly as Miss Thompson revered Brett Riggs, he obviously felt the very same about her. In his dissertation, that was presented to the National Park Service Trail of Tears National Historic Trail in Santa Fe, New Mexico. He mentions her in the acknowledgments. She goes on to tell me a funny little story that happened when she went out hunting for artifacts with Brett one day. Come from Murphy and cross the river. So we got out and it's the morning, uh, pretty much like this, maybe a little earlier. Yeah, it was about 10 o'clock when we got out there. And uh, we crossed another little creek. Somehow he had found out that there was an Indian family had lived there. And, that, and uh, we didn't get anything coming down there. All at once, I'd seen this plant. It was lipping over. The, anyway, I did not know, I swear to goodness, what it, what it was all about. When he was two or three rows over, I hollered and said, Come here, and what's wrong these people? What have they got planted here? It's going to die. I said, It's wilted. <laughs> And he come and he he looked around and he said, Marion, let's go. He said, that's the drug. What what was it? Marijuana? Uh-huh. It's marijuana. I'd never seen it, never heard of it. And uh, so he, he said, just ease back. Don't talk to me till we get over to the car. He said, this is something that I don't want you to let on that you know. And so I scared to death. I thought somebody was going to shoot. I didn't know what it was all at. We just walked a little faster coming out. And we did come in and left that place where Brett, he scared me. She said when she got home, she called her husband, who was working as a sheriff in Murphy at the time, but asked that we not put that part of the conversation into the podcast. Throughout my entire time with Miss Thompson, she often speckled in stories about Jack and did so in such a loving way. And at one point, she jumped up to escort me into the kitchen to show me something he had found for her that just delighted her. When he was sheriff, uh, 12 years of it, he would, uh, everybody knows how 
hard he was, you know, with his job. He was one of the great. Miss Thompson said that her husband Jack often found artifacts himself that he knew she would love, and he would place them in little baskets around the house for her to find. And the two stones that she wants to show me came from one of those baskets. I'd find things that he knew that I, I wanted, and uh, had, he had found them, but these two, they're ugly. I thought, what in the devil has he got to put that? Anyway, they look like they're just rough, and that's what they are. They're just rough. It's their heavy feeling. Miss Thompson handed me two pieces of heavy stone that she had laying out on her counter. Taped to the splashboard was a picture of her mother and her father and Jack. She said she likes to have their pictures close so she can look at them every day and remember them. The stones seem unremarkable, although heavy in each hand, but Miss Thompson knew better. Anyway, to make a long story short, I got moving it around, and it's a, it's one of those things that I've heard of that they 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 can do what they want to with rocks. And this was a toy that, oh. that a daddy had probably left for their kids. And I couldn't figure this one out how it would do. It had to be a certain way of going. The whole time Miss Thompson is talking to me, she's playing with these stones on her kitchen counter, moving them this way and that way, seeming really intent to get it to perform in a particular way that she knows it will. In their games and everything. They had games just like we did. And here Miss Thompson spins the rock on her countertop and it flies in a magnificent aerodynamic circle, like a well-engineered top. And she finally reveals what she thinks it was used for. You know how we did spin the bottles? Sure. Uh, they did their thing too. And maybe they had a pretty little girl. <laughs> and when this stops, you... It's for you. And the romantic in me looks at the picture of Jack hanging on the kitchen wall, watching her play with the toy that he found for her. And I feel certain he's pleased. You. It's for you, Marianne. I guess of everything that I found that I treasure more, and I'm so afraid something will happen to it when I'm taking things out. Eh. Miss Thompson is on the move again. She moves me into the front room and opens a curio cabinet that has trays of artifacts attached to pieces of foam. She's looking for a particular piece that she wants to talk about. I'll show you artifacts from here. Okay. Uh, Ooh, there's a lot in there. Which one's your favorite in all this? That's it. This one here. She points to a stone that has been carefully chiseled and polished into the shape of a star with intricate decorations engraved on the top of it. She's very excited about this artifact. I found the artifact. Now I'm just going to tell you the story. This was a, a star. And I tell you, the story was the Cherokees, they always had stories. Like we read books and everything. They, they, they taught each other stories. This artifact, and I can see now that it's actually a pendant because there's a hole at the top where a chain can go through for it to be worn. This star is an emblem or symbol representing one of the Cherokee folk stories. And I can't think of anyone more qualified to tell this story than Marianne Thompson. And this day, the mothers, there's two or three mothers out watching their boys in a ring. They dance around, holding hands and going around. They stood there and talked with each other, that they did nothing but play all the time, and we need to do something. I could easily see this scene playing out in modern day, a bunch of moms hanging around a playground watching their kids idly play, running around in circles, thinking all they do is have fun, and they need to help more with the chores. 
Except, of course, they wouldn't have been outside playing, and certainly not holding hands running around in a circle. They would have their heads bent over an Xbox. And they're just young boys, and they, didn't, they didn't want to work, so they decided what they was going to do. And got told the boys, well, they went back into the teepee, cooked, ate, and then when the boys come in, at different houses, each one of them. And the mothers had already put the stuff up and they wouldn't give them any food. Said, no, you can't do anything. Help us. We're not going to help you. And I said, they said, when you get hungry and let us know that you're going to help us and uh, that'll be okay. So they all got mad. They just weren't going to listen to the mamas. They just got right back out doing the, the same thing. Round and round they go and saying their little song. And all the mother, they come, said, there they are again. We didn't do any good with that. One of the mothers said, my boy looks like his feet's going up off of the ground. And so she ran to her son and the others, they just kept going up and kept going up. There's something to pulling up in the sky. And till they were gone and the one that the mother had... Uh, pulled him back down but he wanted to go with him <laughs> and he started going too and they went up they were no more here and of course the, it just worried the mothers what in the world would happen but they they never found out the boys were grown i read a slightly different version to miss thompson's about seven boys who were always shooting their bows and arrows in a kind of a tournament trying to hit corn cobs and their mothers grew weary because they weren't shooting anything that they could eat in other words it was unhelpful it was just play and the boys went across the side of the hill where they couldn't be seen so they could play without their mothers interfering but when they got to the other side of the hill they disappeared of course the parents were worried and they went looking after them and they saw the boys dancing in a circle and as they swung around in the circle they went higher and higher ascending into the sky and they picked up these poles and tried to knock them back down from the sky because they're terrified now their boys are you know floating above them but the boys continue to float all the way up into the celestial body and it's believed that those seven boys became the seven stars of the Pleiades and it was clear that the star pennant that Miss Thompson had found was representing these seven or eight boys who had flown up into the sky and become part of another dimension. If you want a pen here you go. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Miss Thompson is holding up the pennant and counting each of the little star arms that protrude from the center. And I just felt so honored to be looking at this artifact in the hands of a woman who understood the import and meaning of the Cherokee story. But she's on the move again. Now we're moving deeper into the house, into a room that once served as a very formal salon or living room. Every surface is covered with paintings and plaques. They're lined up on the floor, 10 deep. All of these are framed paintings that Miss Thompson has created. She walks over to a table and points out a plaque with her husband Jack's name on it and holds it up, smiling. And this is finger of Jack's. Jack got a purple heart? Yeah. Oh, wow. This family was truly accomplished. I glanced around the chock-a-block full room. Even the fancy furniture had pictures resting on the sofas and chairs and whatnot. And I saw a painting of an old cabin she had painted on a saw blade, and it really stood out. I saw that you painted on these saw wheels, or what are those called? What Blades. is that, a blade? Yeah, that, the one down there, that's the oldest thing I guess the Forest Service takes care of. And I painted that. That house right there is the oldest residence that the forestry keeps up? Yeah, the forest service is taken care of. 
I remember Miss Thompson telling me that her husband Jack worked for 30 years at the Forestry Service before he was sheriff. And it occurred to me that while he searched out artifacts to surprise her with, she overlapped his career as well by going with him into the woods and painting different landscapes and in particular this inviting old cabin that was under his care. Miss Thompson's entire house is archived with artifacts and accolades and paintings of a rich and full and meaningful life. But she tells me that she's all alone now. I'm the last of uh, my family. I'm the only one of my family. I had uh, two brothers and they're deceased, of course. And, and my mother and my father. My father was killed also, but he was, he was killed by three men shot him in the back. Why did uh, they shoot him? Because he was thinking of going to make a sheriff of Polk County. Wow. I couldn't believe her father had been shot in the back by three men because he was considering making a run for sheriff. That's a tough town. She tells me she was just a toddler when it happened. I was only three years old when he was killed. Oh. And my younger brother, he was six months old. I've got their pictures and everything, didn't they? Miss Thompson makes a dash for yet another curio cabinet in another room to find a letter of recommendation written by her father's former employer because she wants me to know what a great man he was. Let's see if that's it. Yes, this is a letter of esteeming him. Uh -huh. As a workman, he's always been very conscientious. As an associate member with me on the Boy Scout Committee of Troop 39, his interest and helpfulness in promoting the best interest of the troop at all times has been most gratifying, and the boys of the troop had all the highest regard for his ability and interest. It is with much regret that our associations are being terminated, for Mr. Gaddis is able to make a distinct contribution in any community in so many different ways. The letter is dated May 16, 1931, and Miss Thompson cherishes it because it's one of the only representations she has of her father, aside from stories her mother tells her. Mother said he's always a kid himself. Miss <laughs> Thompson appears to be getting tired, or anyway her legs are, and she asks to sit down. And this is when the phone rings, and she says she hopes it's her granddaughter, Wendy. Yeah, it's Wendy. Hello? It was not Wendy. It was one of those telemarketing calls, claiming it was an urgent message about whatever. Miss Thompson listened for about 30 seconds before she got a little mischievous. I love you too. It was not love sent to that. I get at least 10 every day of these things. It is driving me crazy, but they keep calling. She tells me she gets a little nastier when she doesn't have company. Miss Thompson sits back in her chair and rests her head, and I know that the visit has to be over. And when I consider all of the achievements of her remarkable life, I wonder what she finds the most pride in. So I ask her. It's my husband. She tells me she doesn't think this accomplishment is worth putting into the paper, but she's wrong. Well, it wouldn't be the best thing to put in the paper. But to Miss Thompson, everything comes back to her Jack. My Jack, he was a great man. But it's apparent that Jack found himself a great lady. That's all for this episode. Thank you for joining us. You can meet us here on the porch next time at Front Porch Productions, a podcast produced by the Cherokee Scout. Music used by permission from Ketza Drop.